Joel, and I appreciate so much each and every one of you being here. Uh, I, I want to take an opportunity as we get ready to kick into this message, which I'm going to call different by design, but I want to share with you where I'm coming from because I'm going to share some things that are probably go against the cultural norm. Uh, surprise, surprise. Um, but why would I do that? Where does that come from? It's good to see the mysteries back. Uh, where, where would that come from? I'm going to show you where that comes from because uh, let me say it like this. Let's pretend this is our bus, the bus of our life. It's going to be the driver's seat. We're looking down from above on top, okay? This is going to be the front seat up here. This is going to be the back seat. This is going to be the, let's call it an SUV, whatever you want to call it. But uh, you've got to decide who's driving your bus. And I've decided who's driving my bus, who's driving the bus for this message, who's driving the bus for our church, who's driving the bus in my life. And you've got to make that decision yourself. So who's driving the bus? Well, Scripture has to drive the bus. Where does everything else fall in place? Well, here's, here's where it falls in place for me. Tradition would be over here in the passenger seat. Behind tradition would be reason. Over here behind Scripture is going to be experience. Back here in the back will be emotions. And here's the problem. Too many people are allowing emotions to drive everything today. You can't depend on your emotions because they change too often. So emotions, these are like children. You listen to them, you care for them, but you don't let them make major decisions for your family. You can't do that. Listen to them, care for them, but they don't drive the bus. Scripture drives the bus. Why do I have tradition over here? It's because tradition is collective reasoning. And I trust in collective reasoning, that which has stood the test of time for generations. I trust that. I trust that over reason. This would be my own individual reasoning. I trust collective reasoning over my individual reasoning because I trust that throughout decades, that which has stood the test of time is smarter than I am. I'm, I don't have that much pride in myself to believe that I'm smarter than tradition, not just any tradition, but traditions, traditions that have stood the test of time. And here's where things go wrong. People have experiences. Well, you know, my experience is, and people start telling you what they're, I have a brother, I have a sister, I have friends who they believe this way, or they have found love this way, or they have changed their philosophy or their belief in what marriage is or what sexuality is or what gender is. And this is my experience. My experience has been this. And so what happens is when you move experience up here to the driver's seat, what happens? Why, why does it sound logical when people start sharing, well, this is my experience. This is how I feel. What's well, because they keep uh, scripture over here in the passenger seat. And we use scriptures. Well, you know, this is who I am. God made me this way. Uh, we should love everybody. We shouldn't judge anybody. And they use scriptures to kind of support an experience. You can't do that. It's what sounds right, but it's not right. Scripture has to drive everything. 
Experience back here, reason back here, tradition over there, emotions way over here. That's where I'm coming from today. And so if you have a problem with anything I say, talk to the one who wrote it. Talk to God, the scripture. I'm simply going <laughs> to... You guys come get this. Thank you. Men and women are different. We're going to talk about our difference because we're different by design. So at every party, there's two types of people. There's going to be... Uh, there's going to be the one who wants to stay and the one who wants to go home. And ordinarily, they're married to each other, right? Yeah. So when I first started dating my wife, my wife, she asked me, says, you got any dreams? I said, oh, yeah. I got this crazy one about this T-Rex that didn't get a job because he couldn't tie his tie. And she looked at me. She says, no, I mean goals, dummy. Goals. Uh, oh, oh, goals. See, sometimes we say one thing, but we mean something entirely different. And there's no place that that's more true than in the marriage because we are so different. Men and women say things. Sometimes we're saying the same things, but we mean something completely different. If you ask your husband, how are you doing? And he says, fine. Okay. 99.9% .9 of the time, it means he's fine and he's okay. Now, if husband asks his wife, how are you doing? And she says, fine, okay. 99.9% .9 of the time, she's not fine, she's not okay, and you better figure out what's wrong or you're going to have trouble. Now, if you, if, you, if you ask your husband what's wrong and he says nothing, there's like a 50-50 chance that nothing's wrong, but if he's out of the line of sight, then there's that other 50% chance that he's buying time to put out the flame. Nothing, nothing. <laughs> he's trying to do something. Okay, if you ask your wife what's wrong and she says nothing, that response from a woman usually has an unusual effect on the surrounding temperature of the room, and it's been known to leave a layer of ice across all surfaces in the room. Something major's going on. But then there's even another phrase that is completely different for men and women. And this is the phrase, I think we should stop and ask for directions. Now listen, technically, those words should only ever be uttered by a woman. I'm just saying, if a man says that your masculinity card is revoked immediately, uh, you lose your membership totally. Uh, but you, you, guys don't ask for directions. And then, and there's another side of that, that if somebody comes and asks you for directions, guys, and you don't know the answer, you don't know the directions, then you are obligated to never say, I don't know. <laughs> and you do one of two things. Either if you don't know, then you give him some directions that send him to the other side of town somewhere, <laughs> can you just, or it sounds like you knew what you're talking about. Or if you do know, then you give him directions that are so complex, he's lost by the second turn anyway. That's usually the way it turns out. Men and women are just different. We're different in so many ways. Mark Gunger does an amazing job of explaining the difference between the male brain and the female brain. And he says the male brain, it's like a dresser of drawers. You know, where we have the dressers at home and you got your you know, socks in one drawer, underwear in another drawer, t-shirts in one drawer, jeans in another drawer. Maybe We have drawers for different things. Well, in the male brain, you have a drawer for God, a drawer for family, a drawer maybe for wife, a drawer for the job. You have a drawer for friends, a drawer for hobbies, and none of it intersects. It's all different. Everything is compartmentalized, right? And some people don't understand. Our wives don't understand how we can compartmentalize. We have a 
a dresser of drawers for a brain. The woman's brain is completely different. He says it's like a ball of yarn where everything is interconnected. That's why you can do something or say something today and it's connected to something you said or did 20 years ago that you're still in trouble for because the brain is connected to everything. Most men are like microwaves. Most women are like crockpots. Men, they drive fast, dress fast, eat fast, shop fast, pack fast, everything fast. The woman, she's going to take her time. She likes that man with a slow hand. Uh, Women, they take their time. want to make sure it's done right, packed right, looks right, feels right. Everything is right. We're just different by design. And one of the things that I've seen in too many married couples is that when they get married, they completely are unprepared for how different each one is. We're completely unprepared. In fact, we think while we're dating that our differences are cute and funny and interesting. But once you've been married for a while, there's nothing fun, cute, or interesting about our differences. They become a major source of conflict because we can't seem to get on the same page. It's almost as if we have this unrealistic and unspoken expectation that the other one is going to change to become more like us once we get married. And that is a recipe for disaster every single time. Somebody said marriage is when a man and woman become one and the trouble starts when they try to decide which one. Listen, we don't need to become like each other. We're different by design and we're going to celebrate it. We got to become more like Jesus. Can I get an amen? Not like each other. And if you're married, I can guarantee you this. One of you is a saver. One of you is a spender. One of you is spontaneous. One of you is an ultimate planner. When it comes to intimacy, one of you is drop everything and do it. And the other one is like drop dead. There's just, everybody's different. We're just different. So we're going to celebrate that. We're not going to try to change it. In fact, look at some of the differences. Look at the difference. Look at the changes that Starla and I have been through through the years. Here's us dating. Isn't she gorgeous? Amazing. And then you keep going. This is us when we got engaged. Uh, next. Oh, we're still we're dating at this time. And keep going. Here's the marriage day. Yep. Keep going. Here's first little baby. Yeah, we drove on a motorcycle with uh, no helmet. <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh, one baby. Keep going. Keep going. Oh, there's us. Keep going. Oh, yeah. That's the preacher look. Look at Bible in hand and everything. <laughs> Keep going. There's a four kids. Keep going. There she is. Isn't she gorgeous? All right. Keep going. Yeah, that's us just that. Uh, that's just going out last Friday night. Uh, no, it's our better marriage date night. Uh, keep going. Yeah, this Starla actually, she likes to play dress up every now and then. And so, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. This, <laughs> truthfully, this, since the better marriage Sunday, I was invited to perform a wedding uh, for a couple in Las Vegas. And the theme was everybody had to be dressed up in some Hollywood uh, character. So we chose Zorro and Zorro's wife, and I performed the ceremony like that. It was amazing. Keep going. Hey, hang on. Let me just back up. Since this is the last, since this is the last service, 
We came down from our hotel room. We're in Vegas, and the bottom of the hotel room is, is a casino. And so I come down. I stop because I'm, I'm going to catch a cab, and I stop to get some cash at this ATM. And two security guards come up and said, uh, excuse me, sir, this was obviously before COVID. Uh, excuse me, sir, you can't wear a mask in the casino. I said, but I'm Zorro. They kind of laughed and chuckled, and I said, listen, I'm just going out to catch a cab. I'm not staying in the casino. I'm just going from the elevator straight to the street. And I said, would you guys mind just escorting me there and get me out of here so I don't get in trouble? They said, oh, yeah, let's do it. So two security guards start walking me and Starla, and we're walking out, and people are saying, hey, Zorro. I'm just waving at people. Hey, hey, owning the whole thing. Oh, yeah, this is when we were hippies. This is before we got saved. Uh, I'm... I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Keep going. There we are. That's a volunteer appreciation. Keep going. Yeah, that's us. Keep going. Yeah, and one more. Got to get the dog in there. Look at all these changes. Look, we, we have changed through the years, no doubt. And even though I'm going to talk about some of those changes and differences that we have in a marriage relationship. And it'll, it'll relate to every single person here. Just hang with me. If you're thinking, oh, it's a marriage day. Look, one of these days you're going to be married. You're going to wish you knew this stuff. There's actually some things, three things that we have in common that I want to hit real quickly. Number one, both men and women are created in God's image. Genesis 1:27 says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We both have value because we are created in God's image. God knew exactly what he was doing. So listen, young people especially, don't buy into this crazy social contagion that you don't know who you are. We're going to wait till you decide who you are. God made you who you are. Trust God. Trust the designer. Can I get an amen? Number two... Both men and women reflect God's nature. Genesis 5, 1 and 2 says, this is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. We were both created to reflect God's nature. God made men with a masculinity that should be strong and confident and made women with a femininity that should be compassionate and nurturing and beautiful and tender. We're just, we're made differently though. Men, our emotions, they're more like a desert where it's just kind of like, wait, I see an emotion out there. Uh, no, that's a mirage. Sorry. Yeah, where, where women's emotions are completely different. They're like a playground, you know, like slides and, and merry-go-rounds and, and swings and, and those little animals on the springs that go like this. That's, we are so different when it comes to emotions. But rather than, than, than accuse one another and fight one another over it, we've got to celebrate it and recognize we're different for a reason because there are some aspects of the man that best reflect the character and the nature of God. And there are some aspects of a woman that best reflect the nature and the character of God. So together, we best reflect the nature of God to our world out there who needs to hear about Jesus. And here's the third thing. Both men and women are equal in God's sight. And this is important for everybody to understand. Galatians 3.26 says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. 
for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Here's, this was a scripture that somebody could use to put in the passenger seat and say, well, my experience is there's neither male nor female. Now, that's not what this means because it's clear from what we've read in Genesis that God made male and female, man and woman. He made us this way. What does this mean? It means that our value and our worth is the same before God. One is not more important than the other. Man is not more important than woman, and woman is not more important than man. There's no class system when it comes to God. There are specific roles, and there are specific distinctions about who we are and how we function, but we are equal before God. So while we share these things in common, there's so much about us that should be celebrated. That's why I want to go back to the beginning when God put this in play. In Genesis chapter two, look at verse number 18. It says, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man. I want you to notice that phrase. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So God gave Adam a job. He brought the animals to him. Now notice this in verse 20. It says, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep while he was sleeping. He took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman and from the rib, from the rib that he had taken out of her, and he brought her to the man. So what did he do? He brought animals to the man for uh, him to name, gave him a job. He brought her to the man. Her, his focus is on work. Her focus is on him. Her focus is more on family, more on relationship. His focus is more on providing in the work that God has called him to do. So here, number one, here's the first thing that I want to just point out is that we are different in how we feel loved. Because we are made differently, Men and women are different. We just we 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 find differences in in our, our very DNA. Now we're gonna talk about some of those differences on our better marriage date night, October 13th. Every married couple needs to sign up for this. Listen, it's only $50, and with that, you get a Chewy's dinner, which is worth the 50 bucks in itself for the couple. On top of that, you get a $35 marriage assessment value for free or marriage assessment uh Marriage assessment, it's a $35 value. You get that for free. When you sign up, you get the code. You get to go on, do the assessment. And what it does is it takes your love languages and your personalities, and it allows you to see how they best work together, what pitfalls to watch out for, where to lean in and celebrate. It's, it's going to be gold. And then we will talk about it with Drs. Les and Leslie Parrott on that Friday night. And then after that, after the night, after party snacks and desserts and stuff. You don't want to miss it. I'm just telling you, every married couple, you better be there or I'll come looking for you. Just going to tell you, you're not serious about your marriage if you don't show up, but we're different in how we feel loved. Starla and I are completely different in our love languages. Starla is acts of service and quality time. You know what that means? That means I serve her for long periods of time. <laughs> we're, just, we're just different like that. I used to bring her flowers, and that didn't work because, because I found out one day while washing the dishes when she walked up behind me and squeezed my gluteus maximus that I cracked the code. That's right. It's not in flowers. It's in acts of service. But when we look at this scripture, we realize that 
man's focus was on work while the woman's focus was on family. Both men and women desire unconditional love. We just desire it differently. And that's why uh, Ephesians 5.33 says this, however, each one of you also must, he must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Why? Because we go about that two different ways. We show love and affirmation and uh, commitment and security to our wives. Our wives show trust and respect and uh, affirmation to the husband. We do it different ways, but we both want fulfillment just different ways. Look at verse number 20, Genesis, or Genesis 2, 20. It says, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, all the wild animals, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep while he was sleeping, took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made the woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. So here's the second point. We're different in our marriage roles. The roles that the husband have and the roles that the wife have are completely different roles. Now, I may get some people upset with me right now, but I'm just going to encourage you to hold your rocks. Don't throw anything at me until you completely hear me out, okay? God has put the man in the position in the marriage as the lead in the home. Now, that doesn't mean that he's better than, doesn't mean that he's more important than, doesn't mean that he gets final say on everything. It's not what that means. What it means is he is the accountable accountable person. He is the person responsible before God for the health and the the climate of the home and the marriage. Uh, I remember uh, hearing the story of a pastor that was preaching on this passage about the wife submitting to their husband and this woman wasn't having it. I'm pretty sure her name was Karen. And she came up to, uh, to the pastor afterwards and, and said, you know what? If you were my husband, I'd put poison in your coffee. He looked at her and said, well, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. <laughs> uh, listen, God said there was no helper found for Adam. And before you start thinking, oh, I don't like that because that, that reeks of helper as a second-class citizen, an assistant to the husband. No, no, no. Do you know that that word helper is the same Hebrew word that is used most often in the Old Testament for God himself? In Psalms 54, it says this, that surely God is my help. Same Hebrew word. What does that mean? Well, it means that in the, in the, for, the, for the married couple, God saw it necessary to bring help into the man's life. Now, One thing that we need to understand, sin hadn't entered the world yet, so there was no pride or arrogance on Adam's part, like God made me a helper. That didn't exist because sin hadn't entered the world yet. The other thing that needs to be noted is that the fact that Adam needed a helper meant that there was something lacking in Adam's life that required God to bring a helper into his life in the first place. And all the women said, amen. You knew we needed help. That's no secret. We needed help. God knew it. So he brought the woman into the man's life because she brings strengths and resources to the marriage that the man doesn't have. So together, we work together to make this thing function in harmony. Husbands and wives are equal. But just because God gives husbands leadership doesn't make him better, just the responsible party. But if you'll notice when Adam fell into sin, 
Adam refused to take responsibility like he was supposed to. Look, look what it says in Genesis 3, 9. It says, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He said, well, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, well, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit and I ate it. Did you catch that? What does he say? He said, hey, you brought a, a beautiful naked woman to me and I'm just a victim of circumstance here. He blames everybody. There should have been a verse right after this is, and God slapped Adam upside the head for being such a dummy, but it doesn't say that. You know what it does though? It's at this point that he clearly defines the roles. Genesis 3, 16. To the woman, he said, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. Now, ladies, when you're in the middle of childbearing, and uh, what are those pains? What are they? Labor, yeah, contract, uh, contractions. When you're having contractions and you're having pain and you want to kill your husband, remember, it is God who did this. <laughs> he did this. He said, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you'll give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband. Notice that. God gave the woman desire for her husband. He gives the man a desire to work, to provide. He goes on in this. But notice God puts these roles in men. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. Fact is, there's different roles. And because there's conflict in our marriages, usually that's a sign of the fact that we're not operating in our right roles. Does this mean that one is to be a doormat for the other? No. We're to love each other, respect each other, honor each other, build each other up, and together reflect God's nature to the world. Here's the last thing. I'm going to stop with this. Genesis 2.24 uh, said, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Number three, we're different in our definition of intimacy. Women spell intimacy T-A-L-K. Men spell intimacy different. <laughs> it's not rocket science. It's a shorter word. And because of that, there's conflict in the marriage. There's conflict because we approach intimacy differently. Guys, I'm just going to tell you, your wife resents it when you ignore her all day long, but then you want to give her your undivided attention when the lights go off. In fact, Gary Chapman tells us that a woman before engaging in intimacy needs 12 non-sexual touches that day. And I got to tell you, I make sure Starla keeps up with the count. Now, sometimes we have a little disagreement over whether it was a non-sexual touch or just a full-on grope. And I'm <laughs> I've been accused by her only a few times of groping. I said, baby, that was a non-sexual touch because it did not lead to anything else. <laughs> so you got to make sure that 
we're providing the proper romance for our spouse. Ladies, if you've had a headache for six months, you need to see a doctor, okay? Reminds me of the guy that came home from work one day and gave his wife two aspirins. She said, what's this for? She said, it's for your headache. She said, I don't have a headache. He said, good. Uh, Look, Genesis 4 says this. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. It's an interesting word for intimacy, knew. Because there's a knowing that happens when a couple shares intimacy. And the the marriage should be protected. It should be guarded. It should be cherished at all costs. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your spouse. Fight for your family. Fight for your healing. Fight for your restoration. But singles, listen to me just for a minute. The future marriage that you hope to have, or maybe you don't hope to have, but you'll probably end up there. About 90% do. The future marriage that you're going to have is dependent right now and being defined and being determined right now by how you handle yourself in your singleness. And I just challenge you to do it Jesus way. Let scripture drive the bus. Don't fall into what is okay according to our culture. Just do it the Jesus way. I know it's become almost norm to live together before you get married today. Let me tell you something. Statistics say that that's not a good idea. Secular studies say that you're 75% likely, 75% more likely to have a divorce if you live together before married than the other than otherwise. Just do it the Jesus way. I'm, I, marriage is hard. Marriage is difficult. I'm not telling you that, but it's beautiful. It's rewarding. It is so worth it. So do it the right way. Do it God's way and watch him bless you. Man, I'm just going to tell you right now, God's desire for you is to find a woman, to court her, to win her heart, to become the man of God that she desires to be pursued by. And ladies, God's desire for you is to become a woman of God that every man who pursues you knows that godliness is not an option. That's the starting point for somebody who's going to court you. And for all of us, whether married or single, at the end of the day, we've got to live our lives the way Jesus instructed, the way God's word instructs us, because if we'll do it Jesus way, we can be guaranteed success in this life. You do it Jesus way, you have a hundred percent chance of succeeding, whether it's in marriage or whether it's in singleness. 100% chance of succeeding. Just do it Jesus' way. Sometimes it's a harder way. But it's the right way. It's the best way. It's the way that leads to God's blessing in your life. Put Jesus right in the middle of your life. In fact, do me a favor. Stand to your feet with me, please. As you stand to your feet, I want to ask you to take the communion cup that you received when you came in. And if by chance you did not receive one of these when you came in, if you just lift your hands up, I have ushers in these two center aisles right here. They'll get one to you. When Jesus told his disciples to do this, to remember him, to do it in remembrance of him, you know what he was saying? He was saying, put me in the center of your life. Do this on a continual basis. 
to remember that I'm the center of everything. I'm the center of your life. I'm the center of your marriage. I'm the center of your dreams. I'm the center of your goals. I'm the center of Freedom Church. Put Jesus in the middle of everything. So today, as we take this moment to remember, the wafer that we hold in our hand represents his body that was broken for us. So as Jesus sacrificed his body for us, here's what I want to challenge you to do today. I want you to commit your body and sacrifice your body for him. What does that mean? It means if you're single, you're going to keep yourself pure until you get married. If you're married, you're going to keep yourself pure to your spouse while you're married, as long as you're married, till death do his part. We're going to keep our bodies holy before the Lord and holy to the one who it matters. Jesus committed his body to us. We're going to commit ours to him. With the cup, this represents his blood that was shed. Listen, across this room today, every single one of us have made some mistakes. Every single one of us. There's not one of us that's perfect. There's not one of us that's done it all right. That doesn't mean that we throw in the towel and say, forget it, I'm just gonna live however I want. No. You screwed it up once, then come on, we're gonna get back to the altar. We're gonna say, Jesus, help me to do it right moving forward. Help me to live my life right. Help me to, to operate in my marriage right. Help us as a church to do it right. We're gonna do it Jesus' way. What happens if I slip and fall? Then we stand on 1 John 1, 9 that says he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We come back before him in humility and say, Jesus, forgive me and help me to get it right today. And that's what we're gonna do. Maybe you've got some scars, maybe you got some pain, maybe you have some hurt, maybe you have some failures in the past. Jesus can forgive you of those things. And we're gonna commit ourselves today to do it right, the Jesus way, from this day forward. You with me in that? And take that bread in your hand. And Lord, as we hold this symbol of your commitment to us through your physical body, we commit today to commit our bodies to you, to our spouse, and even to our future spouse, to every single person here today, to your future spouse. We ask you to help us live a life that's holy and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, let's take the bread together. Thank you for the sacrifice of your blood so that my sins could be forgiven. I know I don't deserve it, but I'm so grateful today that I can be holy before God because of what you did for me. So today across this room, if you need forgiveness of sin, Jesus is here to forgive you. His blood cleanses you from all sin, from all unrighteousness need that today, just ask him, say, Jesus, forgive me. I need forgiveness for mistakes that I've made, for sins I've committed, for wrongs that I've done, but I don't want to keep living that way. So I choose today to turn. I do a 180 today and I'm repenting and I'm saying, Lord, I want to do it your way. Be the Lord of my life. Be the savior of my soul. Forgive me of my sins today. 
in Jesus' name. Let's take up the cup together.